welcome to Today's Economics. This is Allie, Annika, and Carly, and we will be co-hosting this week's episode on the Earned Income Tax Credit, also known as EITC, with special guests Colgate Professor Nicole Simpson and a financial advisor from Hans Financial Services, Cherie LaRoe. On today's show, we will be explaining the EITC program and how it works to you guys. We began by digging deeper and looking at the proven benefits of this added income to low-earning families. We also evaluate the work incentives that come with receiving this benefit. Although there are many positive aspects of this program, we also consider possible improvements such as whether or not it should be expanded. So let's get right into it and go to Sherry to talk about just what is the Earned Income Tax Credit and who benefits from it. Well... It's a refundable credit, and what it, what I mean by that is it's a it's a gover- it's a social welfare program basically. So it you get this these dollars whether you had withholding from a paycheck or not. Like Sherry said, it's a refundable credit, and it's designed for low income earners, and it's arguably one of the most effective anti poverty programs we have. Professor Simpson talks a little bit more on just how expansive it is. It's it's a sizable credit, so for households with income between kind of zero, well, something greater than zero, and roughly fifty thousand dollars, which is about the median household income, um, it is uh, it can represent a significant portion of their income between fifteen and twenty five percent, and so so the size of it I think makes it really um, powerful in that student is, uh, households are getting a lot, but also the income ranges in which people are eligible is quite large, and so even um, middle income households that we classify middle income can benefit pretty significantly from the credit. So so it's expansive both in who qualifies but also the size of the credit and it's much more generous than any other anti-poverty program that we have. Yeah, so going off that 15 to 20% statistic that Professor Simpson threw out there, I'm going to read off some numbers just so our listeners can get a sense for the large amount of returns that are associated with the credit. So for the tax year 2018, the maximum credit for a household with no children is uh, $5,416, $3,461 back for households with one qualifying child, $5,716 for those with two qualifying children, and $6,431 for those with three or more qualifying children. So the EITC is not only a very large credit, but it also generally receives bipartisan support. The Democratic Party favors it as it provides a large safety net and is an effective tool in fighting poverty. And it also provides work incentives, which is an important aspect to the Republican Party. Professor Simpson talks in a little bit more detail on the bipartisan nature of the EITC. I think it's really, um, it's been interesting to watch over time how politicians have kind of grabbed onto the EITC. Both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, tend to really um, strongly support it, uh, but for different reasons. I think for Democrats, um, it's it's an important part of our safety net. Without it, I think households would really have to rely on other government programs, which just are not as generous. And I think for Republicans, um, they tend to prefer uh, programs that will incentivize work. And so this is one that does reward people who are working. You have to be working in order to get it. And so it's incentivizing work. It's reducing kind of the moral hazard associated with um, traditional types of welfare, and so I think it's a win-win on both sides. So, so I think um, Congress has realized it's been um, a positive move in terms of getting important resources to families in need and really targeting families, um, people with children. Now let's take a deeper look into the specific benefits of this program. 
Sure. The logic behind EITC is to help low-income families, particularly single mothers or families with female breadwinners, by providing tax credits to raise income. It's interesting because this increase in income leads to improvements in work, education, and health for nearly every stage of life for all beneficiaries. After the EITC program was expanded in the 1990s, uh, single mothers' work rates jumped and led to higher wages earned by the beneficiaries when comparing them to women in similar situations. To put it into, into perspective, EITC expansions from 1993 to 1999 increased single mother employment by 200,000 more jobs than jobs created by other welfare policies or labor market factors. In turn, the raised wages that come from higher work rates boost the size of the social security payouts that are claimable, claimable later in life. So it's clear that EITC may lead to a reduction of poverty levels in old age. Okay, so what you're saying is that it provides long-term benefits, but are there any benefits in the short term? To explain this, we need to understand the uh, foundation of how our society is structured. So to begin, um, we, conclude, we include a study conducted by the Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy that found that the top 1% is taxed on 5.4% of their earnings, while the bottom one-fifth of households face a financial burden of a 10.9% tax of their income. Clearly, something needs to be done to justify this taxation inequality. Luckily, one of the main bonuses of this tax credit is reducing poverty levels for families struggling today. The program does this by supplementing wages for low-paid workers and encourages work. Policymakers have let minimum wage fall 24% below its 1968 level after adjusting for inflation to $7.25, so the supplement is actually so vital to these families' survival. EITC is very successful at being a short-term safety net for people who experience troubles during economic shocks or changes in family structures, like losing a loved one. As a matter of fact, 61% of EITC recipients between 1989 and 2006 only got benefits for a year or two at a time, which shows that this program helps people get on their feet and learn to walk by themselves. So this helps families' income in both the short and long term. Um, are there any other benefits? Yeah, actually, not only are immediate benefits noticeable from the tax credit, extensive research has been completed to test the effectiveness of the program in the long run, and those results are inspiring. From the earliest stage of life, babies in low-income families face medical hardships as their parents have trouble paying for certain um, health care costs. Actually, a study by UC Davis proved that EITC improves infant and maternal health through lower premature death rates, improvements in birth, rate, birth weight, and less stress from the mother. Not only do the credits improve life from day one, they're able to give financial support to, for treatment to low-income families where children typically face poor health, which is then carried out throughout their adulthood. On an even greater level of positive effects, children of beneficiaries experience boosts in school achievements and college attendance rates. These tax refunds make college way more affordable and increase the probability of a receiving child to attend higher education by 4.8 percentage points. That improvement is comparatively equal to reducing class size so that kids can get a higher quality education. So like I said, these benefits last a lifetime. Children of these families are expected to earn more as adults due to increased education levels. A study concluded that an added $3,000 in income as a family receives with a child under six, the child will eventually have annual earnings increase by 17%. What's not to love about this program? Wow, so this credit definitely plays a large role in poverty reduction. I want to shift now to talk about the incentive mechanisms of the EITC. 
In the 90s, there was a push to switch from traditional cash handouts to programs that incentivize work and strengthen the labor market. These work incentives are generally supported by economists as it reduces the moral hazard where people are content with being unemployed due to the welfare benefits they're receiving. In the case of the EITC, the budget constraint is set up so that only taxpayers who work are eligible to receive, and the shape of the budget constraint influences who receives the credit and uh, what incentives the recipients face, such as how many um, hours they work. Looking at it from a macro level, studies show that there have been increases in employment, especially among single mothers. Sherry, however, looks at it at a more individual level and brings up a good point that there are non-compliance issues associated with the EITC. Like all social welfare programs, it's abused. Now, the people that know it's there work the system, generally. There's that center point where, where the credit pays the most. And there are folks that know what that center point is. And, and so what we have is we have people in industries where they're pretty much making up how much income they have. Given, given my 30-year tenure, I will tell you that I have encountered people as I'm sitting there doing their taxes and, and, and maybe they're uh, uh, in the service industry such as waitstaff, what have you. Okay. And they will give me the amount of their unreported tips according to how earned income tax credit works. So there are ways to abuse the system. However, the IRS is definitely cracking down on these noncompliance issues, whether it be taxpayer error or taxpayer fraud like Sherry was talking about. Uh, studies show that these issues are declining. However, this does come um, at high administrative costs. Additionally, we've talked about how the EITC incentivizes single mothers to work more. Professor Simpson talks a little more about the potential social costs to this. We think single mothers who are the primary recipients of this all should be working, right? That means other people are taking care of their kids, uh, and not all of those are formal structures and, and maybe not um, you know, great and safe environments for children. So society has to think about, is it worth those costs? If we don't, don't go there, then I think we have to do more in providing better childcare for working mothers, right? If we were going to really try to get them to work and keep them working, we have to provide better formal um, and free and government-subsidized uh, childcare for working parents. The last potential cost of the EITC that I want to talk about has to do with the fact that at certain incomes, the credit starts to phase out. Some people may think that this disincentivizes work at certain incomes, and it does create a deadweight loss if there is a reduction in the net wage due to this phase-out section of the credit. Um, this is the substitution effect where an earner decides that they could gain more hours of leisure for the same cost of working. However, studies show that there actually is little impact on this phase-out region on hours work. So we've talked about the benefits and work incentives of the EITC. The last thing to look at is ways that the EITC can be improved upon. One main criticism of the EITC is that it's not widely known among the people who qualify for it. Yeah, so a recent study looked at a large group of individuals who are eligible for the earned income tax credit and don't file a tax return. They found that when people were sent brochures and postcards regarding the program, there was an increase in filing, but it wasn't persistent through subsequent years. So this is important because EITC is one of the largest tax credits for low-income filers, and it's kind of unfortunate that it's not widely known, so people aren't taking advantage of it.
But basically what the study is saying is that the information on the credit does not have lasting change on decisions to file a tax return. That could be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. But what it does mean is the reason people are missing out on the credit is not because they don't know about it. Another way that EITC can be approved upon is expanding the credit for childless workers and expanding it just in general to keep up with the increases in minimum wage. The average credit for a childless adult is less than one-tenth of the average earned income tax credit. The EITC does a little to offset federal taxes, and so this is the sole group of people that the federal tax system basically helps to perpetuate their poverty. When me and Professor Simpson were talking before the show, she brought up a really good point that providing a larger security blanket for adults rather than families is always a harder sell for politicians. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? It's always easier to sell something that affects families and children positively. I think it's a harder sell when it's individual adults because people could say, they should be not, you know, benefiting from government or getting paychecks from the government. Or families, I think everybody can make a, it's an easier case to say kids uh, and families in general should have broader and better support. Now we'll go to Professor Simpson to talk about how the credit needs to be adaptive to our changing economy. I think the, the downsides of the credit are that in some ways um, it's keeping wages artificially low, which firms are benefiting from because now let's say you make you know, $10 an hour, and if you're getting a 20% credit, well, that's a $12 wage rate that I'm benefiting as an individual, but that my company doesn't have to pay me. So employers have benefited from this wage subsidy from the government. So have households. And so I think that is a drawback. With the push in the last few years to increase minimum wages, both at the federal level and then in states even more so, um, I think you're going to find that fewer and fewer households are going to qualify unless we make bigger changes on the income ranges. So so if they want to preserve the EITC to be as generous um, in terms of household income qualifications, they're going to have to expand it. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the effects of the 2018 tax reform and just going forward to see if on either a federal or state level if uh, the ITC is expanded. So that concludes our podcast for today. Um, We hope you learned a thing or two about the earned income tax credit. And we want to thank Professor Simpson and Sherry LaRue so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on our next episode of Today's Economics.